Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 679th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from a yet unnamed farm in Asheville, North Carolina. This is uh, my front yard. And it's a picture I took this afternoon and just thought you all might like to see it. It's green here. It is green <laughs> here. Green. I've never experienced green like this before. This is so incredibly cool. And tonight I'm here with Miss Janice. Hello, Janice. Hey, Greg. It's so good to see you again. I mean, it's just been a few days, but it seems like you're so far away. <laughs> I am 1,947 <laughs> miles away. And. Yeah. We do get a little bit of green in Arizona, see? Yeah, we can do but green in same. Arizona. Yeah, it's not the same. Not the same. I'll take your word same. for it. And this is a totally new experience for me. So, and I'm Janice. I'm coming from my place, Two Piece in a Pod, which is holding down the fort in Phoenix for the Urban Farm, uh, all of our activities here in Phoenix. Yeah. And I just want to let everybody know that nothing is going to change with me moving. We have a crew in Phoenix for our on-the-ground stuff in Phoenix, and then all the rest is online. So, you know, you'll see me just like you normally see me. And if you count on seeing me in Phoenix for the fruit tree program, I will be there too. Oh, and I'm so excited tonight. One of my favorite topics, permaculture. And we have Michael Victoria Moore here to talk about permaculture and soil. She actually studied with Bill Mollison. I just got chills on that. Janice is going to go ahead and introduce her. Well, you know, I found Michael on Facebook several years ago. We've been trying to get connected and get her on our podcast. And I finally Yay! found a way to get her in. So, nice. Michael, welcome. Thank you. Michael Victoria Moore is a permaculture consultant and practitioner living in Alberta. And after watching Jeff Lawton's videos on YouTube, she attended workshops, lectures, and films, read all that she could on the internet, and started picking up books on anything permaculture. And the more she read, the more she realized this was her course in life. She signed up to take her PDC or permaculture design certification course and what a game change that was for her. Since then, the momentum has never stopped. Michael went on to attend the International Permaculture Conference and Convergence in Amman, Jordan, 
oh, with wow. over 200 delegates from around the world who attend this biennial event, including, this is what we were all jazzed about, the co-founder of Permaculture himself, Bill Mollison. Now, she then went on to study with Doug Weatherby, the soil doctor. I'm like super excited about that with the renowned organization, The Soil Food Web. Now, Michael's company is Genesis Permaculture Regenerative Landscape and Design and has been in practice for 11 years. Now, as a practitioner and a designer of regenerative systems, Michael and her company help people grow their own food and create self-sustaining landscapes that are vibrant and full of life. She offers workshops and education programs to schools, community leagues, garden clubs, and organizations. And we are super excited to have you here tonight, Michael. Welcome, wow. welcome Michael. Thank you very much. Wow. So <laughs> very happy to be here. One of my favorite questions to ask somebody that's especially in deep like you are in permaculture. What is permaculture? So many things, so many things. I was president of, of the Edmonton Permaculture Guild for a number of years. And permaculture is about community, first and foremost, I believe. And it's uh, gathering uh, people together and sharing in food and growing food and sharing skills. Permaculture nurtures, nurtures and it enhances not only ecosystems, like I, but also communities and really provides a fruitful growing medium for, for people to get really excited. Uh, I call myself an earth warrior and I think it's uh, a very contagious talking about pandemics, this one's a healthy one, but really gets people excited. And this past year has definitely been my most exciting year and good to see so many people growing their own food. But permaculture enhances our, our soil and our diversity to such a degree that it can increase food production by 85%. And we just mentioned earlier about our governments, and it would be wonderful if our governments around the world would embrace the principles of permaculture uh, because it would solve so many of the world's problems. Permaculture practice enhances soil diversity and uh, helps the health of the pollinators. I'm not giving you um, a traditional explanation of permaculture because to me it is all things and it aligns us with how mother nature herself grows and we always look to the forest which is the healthiest ecosystem in the world. And if we can duplicate that, then uh, we're doing a really good thing. Yeah. Well, and, that, and, by, and by jumping in and, and practicing permaculture, we're really nurturing the lazy gardener, farmer, permaculturists in us. Yes. <laughs> because, because in many ways, permaculture is about working in the flow of natural systems that already work, right? Bill always said that work was an error in design. <laughs> right yeah yeah exactly. and although it does take work to get a permaculture system started it takes over quite quickly and you can see the health in the soil and in your vegetation yeah. and really is quite rewarding i get people commenting that the system smell like they're walking through hawaii it's just so oh, rich nice. and humid oh, and cool. lovely smells yeah. so that's a, a great compliment to the soil right that is such an evocative description. And I just, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Well, one of the cool things, for those of you that don't know it, one of the cool things about permaculture is everybody has their own definition, right? Yeah. Yes, they do. And it, and it comes from your own experiences. You know, one, it was interesting for you 
for me, it was interesting for me that you came up with the community piece first. For me, it's always been observation first and community is right there with it. It's always baffled me when people do online permaculture courses. I just don't get the online nature of permaculture design courses because they are so community-based. We build lifelong, I've got lifelong, because I did my PDC permaculture design course in 1991. I still have people that I know and work with from back then. Me too. We're all connected. Yeah. Yeah. Friends for friends forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's exactly. interesting. I've watched how even the courses that are held on weekends and people travel back and forth, uh, mm-hmm. you know, once a month, they don't have the same sense of community. They learned mm. all the information, but they didn't make the connection. Mm. And it's, it's something that we really need to uh, consider and look at. I mean, it's great to get all the information. And Jeff Lawton in Australia provides an amazing online PDC, as do many others. But yeah, it's that community piece yeah. that really gels and gets us all stirred up and involved. And activated. Activated. That's a good word. Yes. Yeah. Right. Activated. Yeah. The lights go on. Right. Well, and for me, when I did my permaculture design course, at the age of 31, which for me was 30 years ago at this point, I it was a, oh my gosh, there's something that we can call the way that I think. Because since a very early age, the way we live on the planet just doesn't make sense to me. So Bill, Bill Mollison always said, although the problems of the world seem insurmountable, the solutions remain simple. And uh, it's a very true expression. Yeah. The uh, the problem is the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over. Over and, and, over, and over and over. Oh my gosh. Janice is a TikTok person and she sent me a TikTok video the other night that was it, it was a little bit mind-blowing. In what country was it, Janice? They were using rats. It was some third-world okay, country okay. that they were training rats to sniff out landmines. And these, these were pet rats, so they came back to them. And in the video, they said they'd never lost a rat because the rats are so light, it doesn't set them off. But apparently, they, they can detect them. Wow. And was, what, what was your connection in there, Janice? I mean, me. to me, that was like there was a problem, you know, the solution to a problem there. You know, the problem of the rats could have been something that was really, you know, detrimental in so many cities but here they took a problem and they put it to a solution for an entirely different problem and just was fabulous i yeah that was just mind-blowing to me it was a bit tearjerker for me it was was like oh it was moving it was definitely moving for me so i just got this message from janice she says greg we need to get back to soil soil (laughs) soil so let's talk about soil it is actually one of my favorite things to talk about i in Janice's too, absolutely. I, at every juncture, look to see how I can talk about soil and how I can educate people to make healthy soil. So let's start with what is healthy soil? Diverse, crumbly, smells divine, mm-hmm. looks like chocolate cake. I love that. <laughs> it is chocolate cake for the it plant. It is chocolate cake. Yes. Yeah. Over Over the years, I mean, the the, the, the thing that really, really comes up again and again and again is that so many people have, you know, it comes from our our, grandpa, our grandmothers and our grandfathers is the rototilling of the garden. 
the annual mm-hmm. rototilling of the garden. And in the soil course with Doug Weatherby, it was uh, astounding to see the difference from soil that had been built through layering of nitrogen, carbon, nitrogen, carbon, nitrogen, carbon, all organic processes to mm-hmm. one that had been rototilled. And there's no life. There's no soil microbiology. There's no diversity. It's compacted. It's inert. It's blow it away out of your fingers. So that that was just a big, huge light bulb that went off for me. And I've been trying to teach healthy soil practices ever since. You know, it struck me when you were saying that, how how people were describing, how you were describing what happens to soil after the years of the rototilling and the compaction and the, and the dying. And I'm like, you know, if, if gardeners across the nation are not careful with how they take care of their soil, we could end up being something like the, the dust bowl again, or if they, if it's not something that global, they can at least in their own area become soil like what we have in Phoenix. Phoenix soil has been baked and dried and compacted and is so devoid of life that it's a real challenge to create healthy soil in Phoenix because we start with dirt. And what you were describing sounded like that's the direction that soil goes if you keep following those practices. Well, I mean, the disturbing part is that we lose 89 billion tons of soil, topsoil, every year. And it's uh, right alongside climate change. Soil loss is uh, one of the most critical things mm-hmm. that, are, that our civilization is facing right now. A lot of big agricultural firms have transitioned to no-till, but they're still spraying to kill the, the plants and then they're injecting. So the soil is still not benefiting from a, a microbial, a rich biological makeup, if you will. Yeah. yeah. So what so we've got to get smarter. Oh, we got to get smarter about a whole lot of things. About and a whole lot of things. Soil is, yeah, exactly. Soil is definitely a big one. And so from your perspective, let's say I have a backyard, a dirt backyard, because in my world, one of the components of healthy soil is dirt. It's got the micronutrients, yeah, it's got the micronutrients in it. It's just missing other things. How, if you have a dirt backyard, how do you get started in building healthy soil and from a permaculture perspective? Um, the first thing, if I'm, if the garden isn't formed, if it's uh, just a, a blank canvas, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the grade of my property and I want to place a pathway at the intersection of where my water is coming. So if my water is coming this way, I mean, there could be a very, very slight slope or it could be completely flat or it could be tilted but just get a sense of where your water flows across your property. And then you want to intersect it at a right angle from that with a swale pathway. So a swale pathway is just a divot. So you're just taking out a bit of soil along and it can be an organic shape, which is usually what a contour line looks like. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, it's not a, a really easy concept to get your head around, but with a little bit of discussion or Googling, you can really get a good idea of what a swale pathway looks like. And then I'm doing a raised bed beside that swale, mm, and mm-hmm. a permanent raised bed. And it need not be very high. It can just be, you know, five or six inches above where that swale is, but just a permanent raised bed. And you can, if you have a, if you have a pathway on both sides of that raised bed, then you can make that raised bed four feet wide. 
and that allows you two feet reach from either side of your pathway. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is that you have that pathway on contour completely level, like a bottom of a bathtub, so that mm -hmm. when it rains, all of the water is completely evenly distributed along that bathtub bottom. Not like this and pooling over here and not like this and pooling over there. So I just use a bunyip and that's two meter sticks with plastic hose full of water. And my friend and I can figure out our levels all the way down on that swale and level it out really nice. Fill it with wood mulch, just plain old shredded wood mulch. That'll keep the moisture in and that'll feed into the base of our raised bed and I'll make our plants stronger and healthier because they won't be top watered. And that's what I would look to set up right away. Wow. So I love it. There's this conversation going on out there about healthy soil. And this is a global conversation. I've talked to people all over the world on the podcast about it. And it goes along the same lines as what you just said. I love that it's, it's because this is becoming a natural way to build healthy soil, yeah. especially with woody mulch. Can you talk a little bit more about woody mulch? Nature never leaves earth exposed. We're the only species on earth that does that. Right. And exposed soil is dead soil. And if we aren't looking, you know, like if you look at your, if your garden and it doesn't have any mulch on it, every time it rains, it just is so compacted and smashed down. And so by mulching, by putting a layer of mulch and also having broadleaf, you know, a variety of broadleaf plants, ground cover, root plants, again, the broadleaf plants, the vine plants, woolly thyme, all this variety plus some mulch, your soil underneath is so happy and so alive because it has everything it needs. And the rain, when it rains, is just going to feed those plants and not beat your soil to death. Mm -hmm. In the spring and in you can do it again in the fall, but mostly important in the spring is just get a, a big broad fork out or a, or a pitchfork and get down and just rock slightly and go along and just give everything a slight rock. And this opens things up a little bit in the spring and gives everything uh, a nice start in, in, in the springtime for all of your plants to start growing. So you're saying stick the pitchfork in the ground and give it a nice little rock to all the way down and just rock it. Yeah. And if you can prevent you, if you can do it without walking on your garden, that's a good thing. Every time you walk on your garden, you're compacting and you're causing weeds to grow. Although I love weeds. So, right. Yeah. I've said that for years. It's like one of I let weeds grow in my garden and people are like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, they're pioneer species. They do the heavy digging for us. If you chop them off. Chop uh, and drop. Chop and drop. But the roots that you left in the ground add compost right in the soil for us. It's doing our work for us. Dynamic and, accumulators full of phosphorus and calcium yep. and all kinds of good minerals. Yeah. yeah. And as they decay now, there's nice paths for the water to go through. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's we need to be you know, educating at a much younger le level and, and really talking about the, the, the food system and soil and, and how they're so closely interrelated and the health of our, our biomes are directly related to the soil biome. 
So how does somebody who maybe has a, a garden bed already, how do they boost the soil? How do they rejuvenate what they already have? The soil, the most necessary soil builders are nitrogen and carbon. So at the end of, at the, end of the year, you'd want to just leave your garden. Don't tidy up. Don't clean up. There's a number of reasons for that. All of that good vegetation is going to feed the soil. Plus all your beneficial insects are going to make homes in all of that material. Mm -hmm. All your ladybugs are going to nest in there, your lacewings, your hoverflies, everybody's going to have a home in there. And that's going to be fantastic because they're all going to be present in your garden come spring. And then in the spring, you want to give everything a little bit of a lift with a broad fork or a pitchfork and just rocking your garden. And then you're going to be adding your soil amendments. And again, I highly recommend always going with organic. Organic is going Amen. to work slower than mm -hmm. your petroleum byproducts. But your petroleum byproducts are going to feed into your system. A lot of your plants are don't have kind of a, you know, if you're at if you're at the bar and you're only allowed to have two drinks, they're not going to stop it too. They're going to just keep drinking up all of that, all of those products and to their own, you know, to, to their own death, they're going to yeah. get burned. They're going to turn brown or, and it's also whatever is not used is going to go into your watershed. So it's going to wash down into your rivers and right. your streams and then eventually out to our oceans, which has really caused a huge uh, dead zone in our Gulf of Mexico and other areas. So yeah. the benefit of organic is that it's slow working, but it's also part of the soil. It's You're not going to overfeed anything. It's going to become part of the soil biodiversity. Mm -hmm. It's going to have benefit after benefit after benefit after benefit. And your soil is just going to keep getting better and better and better. So it's organic bone meal. It's organic blood meal. It's seaweed emulsions. There's oh, and definitely good quality manure, two-year aged minimum. Yeah. Never a, a fresh manure because it's way too hot. And again, mulch, mulch, mulch. And all of those things you've got. So you've got your, your carbon, your phosphorus, your, your nitrogen. You've got you know, all your elements happening, but in a very slow presentation to your garden. And it's going to do magic for your soil. Amen to that. I'm going to ask you in a minute about composting. You, you, Janice shared with me, you have some interesting ideas about composting. But I, I want to share something real quick. And this is about a new program we're offering here at the Urban Farm. And there are more ways to learn than just beyond this free class tonight. If you're one of our gold patrons, you get an additional two food growing related classes per month. Our patron classes are more than just conversation. They go in depth into topics like patio farming, beekeeping, vermicomposting, crop planning, and always a great one, humanure with our buddy Don Titmus, and other useful and practical skills for urban growers. And you can see all the perks of our patron program and join our community at urbanfarm.org forward slash patron. That one was for Taylor. She's our tech tech person and she's been uh, coaching me to share. So yes, she has, you know, Greg, I wanted to highlight how often we talk to somebody about composting and some of the, the best tips that we get from different people are always, they're not as complicated as you may feel. 
And, and I really thought that being able to talk to her, being able to talk to Michael today, we would be able to get some more insight on composting because how important that is to helping our soils. So tell us about what you do to compost and why you think compost is important. Oh, compost. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a waste stream that we're recycling, which is a really key element to composting. So instead of all of the, those food uh, cuttings going into our, our garbage and landfills, it's going into our compost bins. Mm-hmm. It's also really gets the homeowner involved in the process of, you know, creating uh, the ends to the means and watching how all of this will benefit their garden and the feedback, which is another permaculture element, is always step back and get the feedback. So most people just do a passive compost. When I get a chance, um, I always like to give a workshop on doing a thermophilic uh, compost, which is an active oxygen compost pile. And it takes about 14 days of turning. Yes. That thermophilic, just for clarity, thermophilic is hot composting. It's the kind of composting that people normally think of when you say composting, right? Yeah, but it's hot, but it's not anaerobic. So it never goes over 165. Mm-hmm. If it goes over 165, then it starts breeding pathogens and it starts mm-hmm. smelling. You'll see, you'll know it right away. Right. And so if you can smell your compost, it's anaerobic. And you if you, if you can smell, if you can smell your compost and it smells bad. Bad. That's the key. <laughs> <laughs> if it smells bad. Yeah, that's the key word then you, uh, you don't have enough carbon and uh, you need to add more carbon. You can also, it can also be that it's too wet, but it's usually too much, uh, too much nitrogen. So thermophilic is, yeah, it's, a, it's layering of uh, manure and, and carbon sources like uh, straw, preferring, you know, we prefer dead grasses or straws and not so much wood chip because it's, uh, it's really quite, thick material so you want something that's going to break down faster and then every every two days you're turning what's outside inside and what's inside outside Mm -hmm. and after 14 days of that so seven turnings you then leave it for a couple of months uh, covered and you've got the best most glorious compost you could ever hope to have but you know, home composting, a lot of people don't have the space or the time or the energy to turn a four foot high compost pile every two days. Mm-hmm. So passive composting is a wonderful thing to do. Uh, but people, a lot of people don't don't realize that they have to add some moisture and you yeah. always have to have a carbon source. So for every and it's usually like a 30 to one or 20 to one at least. So if you add nitrogen, which is your one, then you're adding a carbon source that is 20 to that one. And then a little tiny bit of moisture and it'll get things moving without smelling and you'll produce some really nice compost. Now, you know, I get, I often will get people asking me, hey, I want to learn how to compost. And my first question for them is always, how much food scrap do you have? Because if you, it's in my experience, if you have a kitchen's worth, uh, you know, a four family of four kitchens worth of food scraps, that's not enough to actually start composting. You need a whole lot more than that. Can you, what, what's your experience about that? And can you speak about that? Well, a lot of people, they just have, you know, really super passive piles, 
but yeah, if you want to speed things up, you can add other nitrogen sources. Mm -hmm. You can even throw all your grass clippings on there and then and then put your dried leaves and your straw on top of that so definitely there are other resources when we built our pile out on our on our permaculture design of course we we went through the brush and picked all kinds of green uh, grasses and stuff and and layered up that way yeah very good because we did not have enough food scraps to make a great big huge pile but we made we ended up making a berkeley pile and talking with Doug Weatherby, and that Berkeley pile goes anaerobic. I I am really super against hot, uh, super hot composting because I've seen the pathogens, the nematodes, the aggressive nematodes that come out when your compost gets mm-hmm. too hot, and they are nasty beings, and they attack all kinds of other really healthy microbes. What is what is Berkeley? It's a different compost recipe. It was just called the Berkeley pile, and it does take your compost to a really hot temperature. Wow. I don't have the recipe in my yeah, head, no, but it's just fine. the ratio the ratio of, comp- of carbon to nitrogen that you're using and the amount of water, and it mm-hmm. turns anaerobic pretty quickly. Wow. So I, and we, we took the, we all took the soil course, soil food web course, right after our PDC. So it was like Berkeley pile, Berkeley pile, mm-hmm. no Berkeley pile, let's do a thermophilic. So I've been, I've been sharing that information ever since. Totally changed direction here for a minute. What I was talking to Janice about earlier was some studies that we're looking at doing here with the uh, black uh, compost bins. Mm-hmm. Wait, those are the type of bins that anybody can get like online that yeah. can do home composting. Yeah. So many households have them in their backyard and they've been using them. And what kind of uh, tweaked my interest in it was that being a permaculture practitioner, I was getting a lot of feedback from people going, I'm getting horrible insect infestations and uh, Mm. this is happening and these insects are are coming and this is what's happened. And it was just like, wow, we're getting a a real, seems to be a real increase in insect infestations in our garden. And uh, people who have been gardening for years and never had a problem before and really good soil, but, you know, all of a sudden it's these attacks from these insects. And so I started talking to a professor, a friend of mine, and I said, could it be these black boxes, these black compost bins? And I said, because what I'm seeing in these bins is an anaerobic slimy mass because people are just throwing their, their peelings in there and no carbon. Mm-hmm. And then the most important element of healthy compost is is oxygen. So there's no oxygen in there. And second, it's black. And so it's a heat sink. And so there's no oxygen, there's no carbon, and the sun is baking this 24, you know, 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And you lift up the lid and it just smells to high heaven, which is it's anaerobic. And so it's full of pathogens. And then that hot mess goes onto your garden and -hmm. starts attacking all of the bacteria and all the other healthy microbes in your soil. And then that attacks the roots of your plants and then the insects come. So we'd really like to get something, a paper done at least so that we could present it to these companies. And it's like, hey, paint them, you know, produce them white, give them more oxygen holes, something. And then education piece, you know, where's the carbon? 
Where's the carbon? Somebody just popped in with a question. What actually it, can we use to provide carbon in these elements, in, these, in our composting? So carbon is anything brown. So if you mow your lawn, you make a pile somewhere and turn it every once in a while and it'll turn brown in no time. And so that's carbon. Leaves at the end of every year, I go around with my truck and I, and I collect hundreds of bags of leaves because so many people don't realize that they're actually gold. <laughs> And I, I've, actually, <laughs> I've actually trained my neighbors when I was in Phoenix. I trained my neighbors to bring me bags of leaves. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Just drop them up, up at his house. I walked up to a man who was raking his leaves and he had like all these beautiful bags of yellow leaves. And I started walking towards him and he, and he basically like a samurai warrior went, I know the value of leaves. Stop oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And we both laughed and I said, perfect, and moved on. But yeah. <laughs> nice. That's funny. Nice, nice, nice. Wasn't going to give them up. But one fellow came out, he dropped off all these bags of leaves in his garbage area. And I had just passed the, the, the alley and saw these bags and saw him walk back around to the house, pulled up, loaded my truck and took off. And he came back with another couple of bags and was like, <laughs> where, where on, earth, on earth did these just go so that was a riot yeah so leaves are fantastic it's anything garden. that was alive that is now dead mostly is going to provide that right yeah so the the dried out leaves the dried out grass the, yeah. the, the bark even paper which has been you know dead even and dry. paper yeah I'm, i do want to say about paper though do not use printer paper no because the ink on printer paper you can use newspapers because that's soy ink but yeah. the ink the ink on printer paper is made from plastics and chemicals and you don't yeah. want that in your compost bin no bill Mollison used to put uh, uh books of uh, straw on his garden and mm. i just watched a video uh, a month ago on on growing uh, asparagus and yeah, he put all his bone and blood meal down and manure and then he put books of straw down Yep. and really super healthy asparagus every year. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So we have a question here from Suzanne. She says, how do you get a town to do a compost program for the community? And uh, Janice, do you have, did you see my message there? Yes, I did. San Diego, we, we've interviewed a company, a, a nonprofit out of San Diego. We'll get that piece of data for you from our podcast. But any thoughts, Suzanne or, or uh, Michael, for, on Suzanne's question? I mean, well, here in, here in Edmonton, they started uh, the green uh, bin and it just got rolled out, God, last like two months ago or something. And then my sister out in sort of a, satellite city just outside of Edmonton they've been doing that for like 25 years and Calgary's been doing it for quite a while as well and they pick up all the green but it is just green sludge so they don't talk about any kind of minimizing the or breaking down the, the nitrogen with carbon so you're just filling up this this green bin and the city comes along and and takes it away and then processes it so it is being done here I know that Phoenix is, has got a, a city-run composting program, mm -hmm. as does Tempe and Chandler. There's a few of the cities around Phoenix that do. So, At the uh, University yeah. of uh, Alberta, they have 
there's a little strip of land in between uh, one of the uh, residences. And the whole thing is passive uh, compost bins. And they've got resources there too with straw and stuff. And everybody in the neighborhood, whether you're a university resident or you live in a house uh, a block over, everybody comes over and drops their their leavings in there and then covers them up with yes with carbon. So it's I mean it's easy enough to do. And with the community uh, gardens, a lot of community gardens have compost bins too, exactly. and a big education piece on the front of it. You know what what can go in there and what shouldn't and also resources right beside it so that you can top it up every time. That's uh, one uh, solution as well. Uh, Janice, we keep posting that link back and forth to each other, not out to everybody. Uh, <laughs> the, there's a, a program in San Diego, Food to Soil, and that's this is what they're doing. Awesome. I did it again. No, you did it again. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here's the link for everyone for the oh, interview that we had yeah, with there we go. Food to All right, Soil. Let's, let's, so we just have a few minutes left and I've got some questions that I want to really get on top of. So let's try and, I know as permaculture. I can let, if, if I let you guys go, you'd be doing this for the next three, four hours. <laughs> right. So that's what I said. So Mickey wants to know, can you put dryer lint in your composter? Doesn't it contain synthetic fibers like polyester? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't add dryer lint. I guess that would really depend on what kind of clothing you wear. If you've got all cotton clothes, but then again, there's still, you know, organically made and yeah. Save your dryer lint and make um, fire starters out of them instead. Oh, there you go. Mickey wants to know, Mickey wants to know if you have a moisture meter, can you use it to check the moisture level of the compost bin? Yes, Absolutely. I have a compost thermometer, so yes. and that is where it tells me what what the health of my compost is. Yeah. So I want it to always remain below 165. But a moisture meter, I mean, like you can, you know, you can just get your hands in there. You know, if you've got carbon in there, you'll be surprised at how quickly that breaks down the nitrogen. Yeah. So by not having carbon in there, you've got a hot mess. But with carbon, a good quality, you know, a good amount of carbon in there, it'll break down so fast. I'll tell you a story quickly about my girlfriend who has a humanure toilet. And I've built three of them myself, but I had Mm -hmm. never processed a bucket. And she had 10 buckets lined up outside the house. And she said, Michael, put your money where your mouth is. Go and process those in our human or compost uh, area. And I was like, oh, okay. And wow, even one that had just been placed there uh, that morning, it was completely broken down. There wasn't any any identifiable material in there whatsoever, not even a, a piece of toilet paper. So compost when done right and with the right ratios is just the most amazing thing on earth. Yeah. So get your hand in there and feel, you know, what your moisture is. And and if it feels really dry, then get the hose in there a little bit. Never too wet, but just like if you squeezed it and had one drop come out, that would be more than enough. That's what I did a minute ago, just with my hand. Yeah, just like just grab a handful one. and squeeze it. And yeah. you're talking so, about general compost now. Not humanure. Can, not humanure. No, no, you don't need to put your hand in the humanure. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying it's... Yes. Uh, compost, when done well, breaks down so fast yes. that uh, your home compost with your, your vegetable peelings, you need not be skittish about getting your hand in there. Right. Mm. Gail says, I found, this is more a comment, 
uh, I found I need to be careful with the compost from the city of Portland for debris, glass particles, and more, maybe road debris. Choose I'd say, your, go ahead, Janice. I was going to say, choose your source carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I, yeah. Yeah. You should, there probably is a review online on people who are providing compost. And I refuse to get the city's, well, I, they might've changed now because this was quite a few years ago, but I, I bought the city compost. And uh, then I found out that all of it was anaerobic before they processed. Yep. yep. And you know what, I, and one of the points that you made earlier was that the, the biodiversity, the life is what we're looking for in compost. Cause it's not just um, organic material that the plants can eat, that life becomes a, a sustaining addition to our, the ecosystem in our gardens. And that's what we're going for. You know, and just like when you get worm castings, the fresher the worm castings from, you know, a local source, you're going to have better ecology in that to be able to boost your plants. And I'm a very firm believer in this, the more local to your garden, the more those organisms are going to be better suited for your garden. So while if, you, if you're if you absolutely desperate, you can order something online, but if you can go down or to some place- a big box store. At, oh yeah, at a big box store. Avoid if, them. If you can get something from a local worm farm or a local you know, composting place that actually does that organically or make your own, your garden is going to be better off with that whole- ecosystem the biodiversity is going to be so much better suited for your garden yeah yeah it's interesting that you bring that up because i read uh, i just read an article this afternoon on whenever possible get all your garden resources locally because it will make a difference Big time. and in just reading what the soil microbiology is like in alaska compared to what it's like in phoenix and houston big difference in soil microbiology so mm -hmm. try wherever possible to get uh, local resources but it's not always uh, possible i go to Burnco, who deals in in soil and and rocks and and wood chips and big cement blocks and pavers and all that kind of stuff they've got really good topsoil and they've got really good compost and you know i've never had a problem all right We've got a bunch of questions here that I want to, so you're, I'm going to give you 15 seconds to answer them. Okay. <laughs> okay. I know. So, uh, Yvonne wants to know what is passive composting? Passive compost is, is just when you just have a passive pile. So you've built a, a bin, just a wooden bin, and you just keep laying your product on there and just leaving it. That's a passive compost pile. And just because it's passive doesn't mean... You don't need to put carbon on there and a little bit of moisture. It'll just speed things up. You're not Surely, turning it. You're not, you know, lifting, you know, you're not, not doing anything to it. You're just a passive pile. Letting it yeah. be. Shirley wants to know, are there any leaves that are not supposed to be composted? She heard that she's not supposed to use eucalyptus. Eucalyptus would not be advisable. It's an antimicrobial. For Deb wants to know for the humanure aspect, what are some good carbon options besides sawdust or shredded paper? Ooh, sawdust is about the best. I haven't straw. been up on straw. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, you can you can chop up. You can use a, a chopper to get it finer. That would mm -hmm. make it easier. But yeah, the smaller straw, the pieces you, are the better. Yeah. yeah. So you need a, to chop up the straw. Yeah, find a find a uh, sawdust source nearby. What Mary Lynn wants to know, what are the top 
five organic amendments? So it's it's uh, organic bone and blood meal, manure, and then seaweed uh, emulsions are a lot of mm-hmm. people uh, prefer to use those on green green manure. It's in a lot of the uh, greenhouses. We have a green manure. Trying to so, think of what up. Yeah, great list. Thank you. Yeah. Worm castings. Um, worm castings, castings, yes. For sure. Yes. Catherine wants to know uh, regarding weeds. We have something here in, in listen to me. Here. We have something here in Phoenix. I'm not in Phoenix anymore. <laughs> we have but something in here Phoenix, in Phoenix. In, in, yeah. in the low desert, we have something called globe, globe chamomile that has just taken over. It is an, an, an amazingly invasive weed. Are there some weeds you don't allow to get a foothold? Yes. Globe. Oh, yes. Cam- yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. No, we're n- never into invasive weeds. Uh, I just, I, I love weeds in that the fact that they're telling me a story and they're part of succession and they're hardwired to cover uh, exposed soil. Every mm-hmm. time we create an exposed uh, area, weeds come in to, to cover it up. And that's, and thankfully they have, otherwise we wouldn't have any soil left on earth today. Learning what is, is good and what is edible and what is healthy for my garden, I'll chop and drop it. If I don't want it to be there, I'll remove it, I'll bag it, and I'll, I'll throw it away so that it doesn't seed. But if you've got a weed that's taking over, try and plant something that's just as aggressive, but something that you can eat and something that you love. And like even daikon radish is a great cover crop and it's oh, got yes. a huge two foot area broadleaf and then a two foot uh, deep tuber that's edible. And it's also nitrogen fixing. So plant a whole bunch of daikon radish if you've got some weeds somewhere and they'll definitely take over. Field pea is good. All kinds of cover crops will really do the job in enforcing invasives uh, back. Going back to the globe chamomile, in my neighborhood, which is about a, listen to me, I'm doing it again. Your old neighborhood? When I was, in my old neighborhood in Phoenix, what I would do when I'd walk the dog is I, if I saw globe chamomile anywhere within about 15, 20 blocks of my house, I'd pull it up and put it in the trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was kind of my, that was one of my things that I did. Gina says, and add soil amendments on top of woody mulch from previous season, or do you want to put the soil amendments? I just top dress. I don't, I don't, mm. I don't move anything aside. The only time I'm ever moving my mulch to the side is if I'm direct seeding. In order to direct seed, I need to have exposed soil uh, until the the green uh, starts coming up, and then I can bring my mulch back in again. But the the seed needs the warmth of the sun, so I'm going to pull back my mulch a bit, but no, I always just top dress. I, I take, I just take the, the, the blood meal and I'm, I'm just, I'm just top dressing over my garden beds, the same with the bone meal and the manure and just like a forest, everything just keeps dropping from above and it creates the healthiest soil on earth. So no need to, to dig it in or make any more work than necessary. Amen Eat. to that. Amen mm-hmm. to that. Uh, here's a thought actually use wood chips in humanure. Could you use like chipped up wood branches in humanure? Would be worth a try. Oh, um, would yeah. Might be worth a try. Yeah. So, if you've got a well, chair. yeah, and it's still pretty still pretty thick, but yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your company, how if somebody wanted to engage your services, how do they find you and what do you do? So I, I stopped uh, doing installations uh, two years back. I, uh, mm-hmm. and, and today, 
a lot of people either find me on Facebook or know of me. I'm, I was involved with Edmonton Permaculture, the Guild, for uh, many years. And uh, I have a website, genesispermaculture.com. Uh, so people find me in various ways. I just got hired to do a job out in Kamloops, which is the next province over mm-hmm. on a 40-acre piece of land. And so I'm going to help them locate where they should put their house and where they should put their uh, water tanks and gardens. And also they've got some uh, riparian issues. So we're going to look at that. So it's it's going to be an interesting project for me. Excellent. But like as I said earlier, last year was my busiest uh, year ever for wow. consulting. And what, what I've really done is just created a support system. So I'll get called in the spring, I'll do a a two hour walkabout, and then a kitchen table uh, discussion. They've already provided me with a questionnaire detailing all of their wish list for for their yard and their family. And then uh, I go home and, and put together all of the questions and answers and a summary report of my findings. And I make recommendations and provide a whole bunch of resources based on our discussion. And then this last year, I what I started doing was following it up with a video uh, of the Zoom call in the fall, so six months later, and just doing a review, no charge, on their success and their challenges, because it's a lot of information to take in. And I know permaculture, but they, you know, they're just learning from it. So to have a practitioner who's available and can answer questions you know, months later, it's like, what did you mean with this? Or this didn't quite work out. Did we not do it right? Or, you know, whatever the questions are. So I had a huge reward in I found a huge reward in doing that this past year. So that's part of my service. Now, I also do uh, full yard, uh, both uh, urban and rural design. And so following the consultation, if if a client uh, wants to proceed, I'll provide them a full design of their property and looking at zones and where they can place their their garden and what they can grow and why and how it should be placed and and an A to Z on how to put it all together. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. And your website is? Genesis.com. Genesispermaculture.com. Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) Genesispermaculture.com. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, One last question. Mary Lynn says, Greg, can we have a webinar on composting? So here's the deal, Mary Lynn. Uh, She interacts with me a lot, actually, on email. For our patron program, urbanfarm.org forward slash patron, we have two monthly classes that we uh, include in the gold level patron program. I will make sure if you sign up, Mary Lynn, for May, I will make sure that there are two composting classes available. And one of them will probably be the humanure class by Don Titmus. So that is such a great class. It is. It is. And he's such a riot. So, well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We so appreciate having you. I always love connecting, being the lifelong learner that I am. The big reason that I do this is because I like to learn new stuff. And so I always have some takeaways. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed uh, meeting uh, meeting you and being invited this evening was a huge treat for me. Thank you. Oh, right back at you. And thank Amen. you, Miss Janice, for uh, for co-hosting. This was fun. You know how much I like to talk about soil. So I was yeah. like, can I please come play today? <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is this is actually a permaculture concept. It's about creating regenerative systems and 
what I found last week, and thank you, Janice, for all that you do, what I found last week when I was actually driving, Janice and Bill did the seed chat last week, mm -hmm. and it went marvelously well, and they didn't need me. And this is a <laughs> permaculturist. This is a permaculturist <laughs> and an entrepreneur's dream, creating something <laughs> that will happen without you. So, without you. Yes. Hey, Janice, so. let's connect more often. It's been great. Uh, Michael, you're a wealth of knowledge and I love your spirit. So yes, I agree. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you everybody for joining us. We have a bunch more of these coming up. Check out our website for our event calendar and, um, Hey, thank you all. Have a great evening. Thank you, Michael. When I press the done button, we're all going to go away. So, um, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye everybody. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the urban farm podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit denalicanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's denalicanning.com forward slash free.